0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Bold, Beautiful Borderline Podcast. My name is Lori, and I'm joined again by Carly, who's going to help me figure out a lot of my questions around medication. Um so as you will have learned from Carly's previous episode which was probably a couple of weeks ago now, she went through a decent amount of schooling to become a doctor and then it didn't end up kind of finishing but has uh you have a like serious interest in um psychology and pharmacology. <laughs>
1: yeah so it's it's a mouthful um so there's like i dabble in a couple different areas so i do want to i do want to put that disclaimer at the top of the episode i am not a medical doctor that is not my goal here what i do what i have is a didactic medical education meaning i went to med school for the classroom portions of the schooling um, before rotations and things like that i Um, when you're more working with patients and things like that, but I have extensively worked with patients as a crisis counselor and in various roles, including my current one, which is as a health consultant and executive life coach. So I'm helping individuals better understand their own health. And this kind of means that I'm helping people take control of their daily lives and live more comfortably and in their own realities. But disclaimer, I'm not giving medical advice on this podcast. (laughs)
0: Totally, totally. And neither am I. And I think another important disclaimer is that in this episode, we're going to be talking about coming off of medications. And I want to make it very clear that I'm not encouraging any human being on earth to come off of a medication when they're not ready or when their doctor does not say that they're ready. So don't take that as advice to come off of medications by any stretch. My doctor was fully involved in this process and, um, supportive of it. So,
1: and I want to, I want to make note of that because before this, you sent me some of your, your podcasts and your diary
0: yeah.
1: and you really went through an extensive tapering process. Um, totally. but that's like very important to know. And you were working with your healthcare provider. So I, I want to make that very like abundantly clear to everyone. Cause that really affects your experiences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that I was like very determined to do. So the context here, if you're a Patreon member, you will have seen all the bonus episodes that came out around like my diary for coming off of Quill. So I shared those with Carly. Some context, I was first put on Quill when I was probably 19, maybe 18. In an emergency room because I was incredibly suicidal and homicidal and hadn't been able to sleep. So I was kind of given it as like a band aid solution for a couple of nights or whatever, but it really helped. And so I am clearly not 18 or 19 anymore. I am now 29, almost 30. And I have been on the medication, Seroquel or quetiapine, for 10, 11 years, which is a long ass time. And some of the questions that I have for Carly and and that we'll talk about in a minute is like, my understanding is that seracol is not even necessarily like the frontline treatment for that kind of thing anymore. And so I think if I were going back into this journey now, I probably wouldn't be prescribed seracol. but because it was 10 years ago, it's something that like was kind of a frontline treatment.
1: I want to mention about what you're saying about that. So it's really intriguing because Seroquil is typically not actually prescribed for sleep. And so what I saw in your treatment history was a migration pattern of the reason for prescribing the Seroquil, which it is typically prescribed for like bipolar, schizophrenia, and depression and some, some types of depression. So those are the on-label uses of Seroquil. And that's what you started with. But where you migrated to is this big off-label use of Seroquel, and it's actually not at all recommended now to prescribe Seroquel for sleep. But I can see why you would be prescribed, and and I'm taking Seroquel sometimes for sleep too. So Right, yeah, you take it
0: as a PRN, right?
1: Right. I personally take this medication. So I have like a, like, I'm invested in this too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I take it as like a PRN and like occasionally I'll take it for sleep, but it's kind of the reason that you would probably end up on this medication versus a different sleep med is very different than a lot of other people. So that's kind of Mm. like... Important to understand. And also it's kind of something, like you said, we've gotten away from doing so much, including some big uh in like the US, there were even some court cases against the makers of Seroquel because of their promotion of this off-label use without supported evidence clinically.
0: Oh shit. Interesting. Ooh, you got all the tea for us. Okay. I know. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, and I know that there was especially during covid at least in canada like the long term care setting was really like put under a microscope and i know that seracol was heavily used to basically just make patients easier to deal with
1: oh yeah I think that's how I first ended up. on I can be very yeah. difficult. So I, that's how I was actually in, in um, an addiction setting in mm-hmm. my first, first use of it. And someone just put it on me, put me on it like a really high dose too. And on like for short-term care. And it just, it really was not appropriate for my diagnosis at that time. And so like the way I'm on it now is very, very different mm-hmm. um, as a PR. And by that, I mean, as like an as needed medication for some more like hypo mania type things. And that's a much more appropriate use of Seroquel than sleep, for example.
0: Totally. And actually my doctor had said that I can still take it as a PRN if I need, um, which I haven't yet, not necessarily that I haven't needed it, but because I am worried about getting back into it on a regular basis. So what's interesting to me and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the reasons that they were prescribing Seroquel as a sleep aid back then was because it was not addictive like a lot of sleep medications are. Is that a fair statement?
1: Uh, it is. And and so that's a really complicated issue when you're talking about what addiction means. And mm-hmm. then we're also simultaneously talking about withdrawal symptoms, which are more typically associated with medications that cause an addiction, meaning that they're causing like a, a physiological tolerance, but every medication is really going to cause some sort of tolerance because at the receptor level or like the firings that's going on in your brain at that level, there's, there's going to be some modulation occurring. And so your receptors are going to get used to taking that medication, whether it's an addictive medication or not. Um, Well, there's different types of addiction. right? There's right. like
0: psychological and physical addiction. And, and so I think the, that's the big issue.
1: And that's the other thing. So there's also, you can get psychologically addicted to really anything. And so that's kind of a, a, like more of a reliance and a, a Um And you can work on that with changing like some psychological patterns. Um, but Seroquel really, you don't think of it as an addictive medication.
0: Totally. And, and that's one of the reasons that I was happy to be on it. Right. Because I was like, well, I could get off of it at any time, which we learned not necessarily as easy as I thought it would be. So uh, maybe just a little bit more about my history on the medication. So I was prescribed it when I was 18 or 19, took approximately 25 milligrams or 50 milligrams for years, like just kind of depending on where my mental health was at. So it's a really low dose, but it was really working for me. I mean, when I first started taking it, I could take a 25 and like within an hour, I was a zombie. And I loved being a zombie, right? Because when you're in like a completely dysregulated state at all times, this was pre-DBT. I was so not okay. (laughs) Being a zombie is okay. I liked that, right? It worked. It did what it needed to do. And then I just kind of kept taking it for years and years and years. And there was many times where I felt like I wanted to come off of it. I mean, there's honestly, like at certain points in my life, I think the weight gain side effect was probably the reason that I wanted to get off of it the most. Um, yeah, I'm less worried about that. Nowadays. I'm trying to just like, kind of live with whatever I look like, but, yeah. but that like, obviously over 10 years, and especially like, if you have like eating challenges, that becomes like a big factor
1: for sure. And, and that can be a reason not to prescribe a med to someone like it's, mm. it's so significant when you think about, eating disorders, they have some of the most significant death rates of any psychological disorder. So that is like a very, very severe consideration. Mm
0: -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I think anorexia is like tied with BPD in terms of fatality just for different reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I I've been taking it for years. There's been a couple of times where I've tried to taper off of it, and so I would cut them into like quarters or halves or whatever. So I would go to like 12.5, I would go to 6.25. And then I would panic and be like, "Ah, eh, no, I can't do it anymore. And then I would go back to 25 or 50. And it was like a big, honestly, it was like a big psychological block for me about not being able to sleep. So if I tried to not take it, or if I knew I hadn't taken it, I would just sit up at night completely like, oh my God, I didn't take Seraquil. Oh my God, I didn't take Seraquil. Oh my God, I didn't take Seraquil. Even though, like realistically, I was taking such a small dose that I probably could have slept, but it was that psychological addiction that was really affecting me. So that was unfortunate. Obviously, for many, many, many years, I don't think I missed a dose for eleven years because of that because I could not sleep without it.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, Yeah. I mean, and and that's really speaks to the realities of a psychological Mm. addiction. It's a real thing that can really happen. I, I think that's like one of the good reasons, if you're feeling that you are psychologically addicted to something and using it as kind of that, like more of a crutch rather yeah. than a therapeutic agent, then that's one of the positives to coming off Seroquel. And I want to commend you for that. And and again, I'm not encouraging anyone for, uh, to come off their medications. Like no. i Better living through chemistry is like my motto. Like hundred percent, yeah. I am. I am all about being on my. Like I'm on meds. I'm on Seroquel. Um, but you you mentioned also in your previous podcast that you didn't encounter a lot of positives from other people coming off of Seroquel. You you encountered like a lot of negativity, and Mm -hmm. I just want to reinforce your decision a little bit in that. Positives of coming off Seroquel include things like reduced side effects, and you're talking about that weight component. It's mm-hmm. like significant. I want to talk later too about you mentioned sleep apnea, and mm-hmm. so that can impact your sleep. So coming off of it might actually help your sleep. Um, yeah, totally. Because of because of that symptom alone, you're also going to have decreased sedation, more cognitive clarity improved emotional responsiveness. Um which I don't know if in
0: BPD that's necessarily a good thing. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) So you you might have a little bit of that. Um but generally you're you you can experience some better physical health benefits just because of some of those um like metabolic changes too. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. And for me what I what kind of was the like trigger for me to come off of it was I was like, you know what? I have not lived without this medication for 11 years. I don't even know what is a side effect anymore and what is just me as a human being. And And so-
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, Um, because I noticed you saying that even about like, do I- smell things? Like, do I have seasonal allergies? Is it, Cause it acts as a histamine. You kind of like tie those ideas in and it's like 11 years, like who was I even 11 years ago? Yeah, I, I was like a very different person. Um, So I can like, I can imagine that being really, really challenging.
0: There's uh, the other like key side effect that I thought was a side effect, which now I'm actually questioning whether or not it was, which is frustrating is I have really bad night sweats and really bad temperature regulation. And that is a side effect of Serape, or can be a side effect of cerebral. So I was really hoping that that would be kind of like it, and like it would just go away. It hasn't, which is unfortunate. So that's like another discussion, obviously, with my doctor to try and figure out like, well, then what is it? And she has some other theories that we're kind of exploring. But I wanted to know what it was like to live without it. And so I Googled positives of coming off of cirquel because i was like well maybe maybe this will help me motivate right because it's a really scary decision i had gotten like i had tapered really slowly for like a month at a time from like 2 25 to 12.5 to 6.25 i was like so on the right track but i just wanted motivation and every single thing i saw online was coming off of cirquel sucks coming off of cirquel is horrible don't do it and i was like well that can't be the reality, right? Like there has to be positive stories. And I was like, well, I have a platform to share positive stories. So I am not a journaler, but I actually journaled like almost every single morning and night when I was coming off of Seroquel with all of the tapers too. So like at each time point, and then I recorded bonus episodes on those different dose time points, but I really wanted to talk to somebody who like could tell me about what I was experiencing. So like I noticed essentially no issues from 12 or 25 to 12.5 to 6.25. The minute I stopped taking any, it was a fucking game change. Like it was wild. I woke up in the middle of the night with like crazy heart palpitations. My heart was racing. Like I couldn't, I, I was like, I'm on my beat. I might be dying. The next day I had like what felt like panic attacks for basically like the entire day, like with no breaks, which is obviously completely exhausting. I ended up having to take the next day off work because I was so like, my heart was being so weird that I couldn't sleep and then I couldn't function. And I was so tired. And then I had this like crazy body itching, which is one thing that I really want to talk to you about because that was like such a weird side effect. And I was like, why am I so itchy? Like, like I can't possibly have this many mosquito bites. And then I looked into it and realized that apparently Seroquel is an antihistamine, which I don't understand, which I want to ask you about. So I've been taking an antihistamine every day for 12, 11 years. What? Nobody ever told me that. So anyways, you, you know, all of the things I want to talk about, where do you want to start?
1: Okay. So let's start kind of at the top because first of all, we want to talk about what is Seroquel. What what exactly is this medication that we're talking about? So this is quetiapine and there's a regular medication and an extended release. So I want to ask first of all were you taking the extended release or was this the I think it was the right
0: I think it was okay. the regular because the I it was asked for sleep.
1: About, okay, yeah. And that makes more sense to me that it would yeah. be because that makes a difference when we're talking about like half-life which is really de- just describing how long of medication is in your body. Mm-hmm. So Sero- seroquel is going to be, you were prescribed seroquel for sleep, which is not actually a very typical experience for a lot of people. It shouldn't be, but it's kind of pretty common um, as an off-label use for seroquel. Really labeled uses of seroquel are for bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, Um, In like an extended release form or schizophrenia, because Seroquel is when you think about it as a category of drugs, it's actually an atypical or a second generation antipsychotic. And so I have an organic chemistry background. And the way I think about that is that it's a tetracyclic compound that's very similar to like those heavy duty drugs that you're using to treat psychosis and mania, like clozapine and olanzapine are Mm -hmm. like other examples of, um, so that's Zyprexa would be a familiar brand name for some people. So it's in that category of drugs.
0: Question for you. Um, Okay, sure. So Using this for major depression is very interesting to me because I would think that that would exacerbate symptoms because you're kind of like blah on it and like more sedated, which I feel like with major depression is not the goal.
1: I feel like sometimes th- there might be a tinge of anxiety in in depression that this would help treat a little bit. And the other thing is that quetiapine really hits a whole bunch of different receptors at different dosages. And so that's why when you're talking about it as an antihistamine, it has histaminergic or H1 receptor histamine activity as an agonist, meaning it blocks it or stops that reaction from happening stops you from having a histamine response, which is very like allergic kind of symptoms. So that's what we're talking about as like a histaminergic antagonist. But that's really only at low doses, where you're seeing a, a quetiapine or seroquel working as a histamine H1 receptor antagonist. You're also going to have a whole lot of other activity there, including serotonin. A it's like ten or so um, serotonin receptors, it's a lot. And then it's also hitting dopamine receptors, which is a reason as good as for antipsychosis, It's going to have alpha one and alpha two adrenergic receptor antagonism activity and some muscarinic acetylcholine receptor um, antagonistic activity.
0: Now you're speaking a language. I don't understand. What were the last
1: two? Okay. So, So it's basically, it's working on your sympathetic nervous system, your autonomics. So it's like bringing you down. It has like a whole bunch of different activity. What you're thinking about for sleep, though, is that histamine piece. And that's when you're taking quetiapine at low doses. It's primarily hitting those. They're called H1, H for histamine, receptors. And so in doing so, it's going to cause some sedation, which is part of an antihistamine
0: response. Am I right in thinking that like the histamine aspect or antihistamine aspect of this drug is like the same as taking Benadryl? Yep. Which does make you sleepy when you think about it,
1: which like some people do take as a sleep aid and then it's also not taking an antipsychotic,
0: (laughs) not that we're encouraging off label drug use, but Mm -hmm. could that be prescribed? It wouldn't even need to be prescribed because it's over the counter, right? Like you could just tell people to take this, but it's probably, is it not safe to take for long periods of time? Then I would assume not.
1: In general, you don't want to be taking, like you try not to take any sleep aid for a long period of time, just because you're, you're really like messing up your body's regular homeostasis. And Mm -hmm. that includes even something like melatonin, which I noticed you were, you discussed a little bit of switching over to melatonin. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you're taking something like that, even though your body is naturally making melatonin, it's really only something you should take for short duration. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that especially with something like melatonin, because the dosages you get of that medication over the counter are so astronomically higher mm. than what your body produces naturally. I'm talking from like milligrams that you prescribe uh, that you get over the counter versus micrograms. Oh damn. Um, yeah. So like there's, orders of difference here in how much your body is producing naturally versus what you would be taking.
0: Well, and what I was using, what I was using melatonin for, honestly, and I only used it, I could, I could look back at the diaries, but I think it was only like two or three days of like when I was doing dose changes and it was kind of just to like trick my body into like placebo affecting, oh, well you took something. So therefore you're going to be able to sleep, which like, honestly, it worked. So well
1: placebo effect is robust sometimes oh, for it's sure. robust, yeah as the medication as a medication itself so yeah. that is an absolutely valid I love placebo effect any placebo effect I'm all for it <laughs> so like that is an absolutely valid use of it and then also you were appropriately using melatonin for a short period of time yeah so like when you think about using melatonin it's something when you're inpatient, and you're in an unfamiliar environment, melatonin's great because you can use it for like that week or so. Or like if you're jet lagged, melatonin's great. But you don't wanna be taking that in orders of magnitude on a, a regular basis. There are some other meds that we can we, we can discuss later if you want, we can really take for those
0: purposes. But the funny thing is, is now that I'm off of it and now that I've gone through the like crazy withdrawal symptoms, I don't need a sleep aid. I honestly think I fall asleep better now than I did when I was on Seroquel, which is ironic.
1: That is so good to hear. And that's really the goal. Like when you're coming off these medications, um, it's like, otherwise stay on them. Like, like your life should be better and improved. So if that's not what's working, then tweak it. I've been tweaking my meds for 20 years. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I'm still making improvements. And and so it's really about finding what works for you individually.
0: And the science is changing too, right? Like I also, because of this kind of like OCD type journey that I've been on with my counselor and, and my doctor around like, maybe that's actually part of what my rumination challenges are, is maybe an OCD diagnosis rather than a BPD diagnosis. Obviously I still have BPD, that's not a question, but like In addition to, and so we upped my Zoloft or like Sertraline, I believe Mm -hmm. we upped that because at higher doses, it can help with OCD symptoms like rumination. And so part of my sleep issue was rumination, which now that I'm at a higher dose, I was like, okay, well, maybe I can, maybe I don't need the Seracol, And it turns out I don't. Yeah.
1: And that's the really funny thing that these meds work differently at different dosages um, because they're, like you said, they're they're affecting different receptors. So when we're thinking specifically about the Seroquel, we discussed the H1 receptor activity, um, but it's, incre- it's really interesting that you mention um, OCD because that is one of the many off-label uses for Seroquel. It can be used to mm-hmm. treat- OCD as well. So you might, you, you might've been getting some benefit from that, but really when you were taking it in that short-term form, you wouldn't be as no. much because of the half-life. Yeah, So that would be the reason for me to say, Oh, if, if you're prescribing it for sleep, maybe prescribe it to someone who has like hypomanic symptoms or something, some concurrent mood instability, which is what happens with me. Like I take it for some mood instability.
0: So and, are you on and, the extended release then or are you on the short acting?
1: I'm on the short acting because I take it as like an immediate relief medication. Right, right. And that's another off label use for it for anxiety at some times. So I, I prefer for like a lot of reasons, but for addiction reasons too, I prefer to be on this medication versus like Clonopin or so, like a benzodiazepine. 100%. As a short acting. Yeah. And I, I've had some like really bad experiences with withdrawal for, Yeah. The benzos is really bad. Um, but like you, you really want to be careful with some of those medications. And so I take it more as like an acute, I need this medication to work quickly. Cause when you think about the half-life it's really only six hours. So in six hours it's at 1.5 hours is at peak in your body at six hours, it's halfway out of your body. At 12 hours, it's going to be 25% left in your body. 18 hours, you're all the way down to 14%. And then 24 hours, ninety over 90% of the medication is out of your body in 24 hours. Yeah. But it's rapidly reduced in those first like six hours when you would be sleeping.
0: Totally. And what's interesting about that is I was shocked at how quickly the heart side effects of the withdrawal kicked in when i didn't take it for one day but then i looked at the half life and went oh actually that makes total sense because this is the first time in 11 years that my body has not had any of this medication left in its in its system it was pretty much exactly like 24 hours if not slightly more that my body would have been like whoa wait a second we've normally had a hit of this drug what's happening and then it just like yeah. glitched bad
1: so those are yeah so those are like the more acute Symptoms you're going to feel, but you can feel symptoms for probably up until like the short answer is for months. Um, but when,
0: yeah, that's what I was reading, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me because if the half life is so short, other than the psychological effects, what, why would I be having withdrawal symptoms that long out?
1: Okay. So this is, this is a little complicated to explain. So let's, Let's start with the sh- the short answer. So the short answer is that you can, you can have a lot of withdrawal symptoms very individually and you have some like rebound effects and it's because of neurotransmitters. But the longer answer is kind of, you have that half-life. You're also thinking about you tapered off of this medication. So you're allowing some neurotransmitter adaptation. So that's like the the things that are firing in your brain and communicating Um, those receptors need some time to get back to normal, especially serotonin and the histamine. So that long list of receptors I gave, the two important ones for this one are serotonin and histamine. And serotonin, you're thinking about a lot in terms of like your SSRIs, which are also mm-hmm. on for the Sertraline, the Zoloft. Seroquel affects serotonin as well too. You're also thinking about minimizing your rebound effects when you're tapering. Um, because Seroquel has set of sedative effects due to its antagonism or blocking of the histamine receptors in the brain, when you stop taking Seroquel, suddenly there can be a rebound effect leading to increased central nervous system activity. So central nervous system, the up here, um, instead of the out here nerves, (laughs) that's how I like to think about it. Um, so you, you have increased central nervous system activity. You can get rebound insomnia and and mania. Rarely, but you can get psychosis as a withdrawal side effect. That would be one of the like severe withdrawal effects where you're thinking disorientation or confusion, hallucinations, delirium, severe anxiety or panic attacks, and suicidal thoughts. But your more common side effects coming off Seroquel are going to be more along the lines of insomnia or changes in sleep patterns. That's because of the histamine activity anxiety or mood swings, nausea and gastrointestinal discomfort as possible, dizziness or lightheadedness, headaches, flu-like symptoms. And then in addition to insomnia, kind of rebound insomnia, which is like kind of the bounce back of coming off or other sleep disturbances. So you might be getting up in the middle of the night frequently or something like yeah, that.
0: I did um, find that a little bit. I like definitely ended up getting up more in the middle of the night, but it was totally manageable. I mean, honestly, what's funny is now I cannot sleep in because I'm not sedated.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know. It's, it's a much better feeling for like, for me when I, when I don't have to take it. So I I always like to minimize my medications, but still taking them appropriately when I need them.
0: Yeah, totally. Um,
1: Yeah. So, so that's kind of like the reason for tapering because you're having all of this like kind of neurotransmitter adaptation as like your big overarching theme. Um, but when you're thinking about withdrawal, it's, it's like a very complicated issue because your brain is also making kind of familiar pathways that are remodeled a little bit permanently too. So you're always going to have this long-term effect from being on a medication. And we don't really have a lot of studies about what the brain looks like afterwards. But so I always think about withdrawal as like kind of a continuum of different symptoms over uh, varying in duration and intensity over a period of time.
0: Yeah. And like, I mean, I have to say I was really worried at first about the withdrawal like I honestly I didn't think that my withdrawal was going to be anything and then when it hit when I had taken zero and it hit I was like oh my god I don't know if this is like doable like I I was like I don't know if I can live like this and it only took like three or four days for me to feel back to normal and That's great. yeah the only thing that I had to do which was super interesting was actually take an antihistamine a couple of days because I was itching so bad that I was bleeding or scratching so bad that I was bleeding so itchy. And I was like, what the fuck? And then I, when I found out the histamine thing, I was like, that's bizarre. So my husband has bad seasonal allergies. So he just has antihistamines all the time. Mm -hmm. So I took one and then my itching went away and I was like, Whoa, like, this is crazy. So I took, I think I took that for two or three nights, just like to kind of like help keep the itching. That also
1: gradually affects the taper process too, because it's still working Mm. on the same receptor. So that's contributing to a more gradual tapering. And part of the reason you want to be doing that is just because of sensitivity. And if you've been on a medication for a very long time, 11 years is a long time. You really want to be tapering off that medication just because it's, you risk things like seizure and things like that. If you come off too quickly,
0: Oh, yeah,
1: tolerance, things like that.
0: Um, I can't imagine had I just gone cold Turkey, like from 25, I probably would have been in the hospital because of how bad my symptom or my withdrawal side effects were between 6.25 and zero. Like mm-hmm. that would have been insane to try and come off from 20 to, to cold Turkey. I'm very glad I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, I was reading a lot throughout this process online to try and find like any like helpful information. There was basically none. Interestingly, almost all of the information that I could find was from substance use treatment centers, because did you see that too, when you were looking this up? Um, Yeah. Yeah. It was like really interesting to me. So I guess like there's a decent amount of people that go to like rehab for Seroquel withdrawal, which I didn't realize it's mostly in the States, I guess. But there was a lot of stuff about like, oh, if you've been on it for more than 12 weeks, your withdrawal is going to be worse. And I was like, uh, <laughs>
1: well, that's true with anything like yeah. if you to eat pineapple for 12 weeks and then suddenly stop eating pineapple. Your body's going to have to adjust to it. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I was just
0: like so 12, 12 weeks versus almost 12 years is like a very different time period. You know,
1: that is yeah. Orders of magnitude difference. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not very concerned too much about a lot of the symptoms you described because they seem kind of typical. So one of the things that you, well, not typical, but more typical for withdrawal, you described the hyperhidrosis, the like that's hyper increased hydrosis water. So sweating, (laughs) like lots of sweating is what that's the fancy name for. So that has usually about a 2% incidence when people are taking Seroquel uh, long-term and typically occurs more at higher doses. But it's interesting that, that that was happening. And that again, harkens back to those serotonin receptors and those histamine receptors. So that's why you were kind of experiencing that. But I thought it was Interesting that you experienced it while on the medication, and then you were still experiencing it coming off of it. And I think some of that is probably because of the withdrawal from the medication itself that you are expe- yeah, it could experiencing. Be. Some of those night, those night sweats that you were describing. So that's that's like something to keep in mind that the the coming off the medication itself can cause some of these things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, the sweating thing is the most frustrating for me, just because like. I do ballroom dance. Like I don't like being sweaty all the time. Like I like sleeping and not waking up in like a pile of sweat. Like it's disgusting. Yeah. And so I'm really disappointed that that hasn't stopped, but I mean, maybe that's a time thing too, right? Like it's only been a couple, maybe a month and a half, two months since I stopped taking it all together. So there's, there's possible things that might change over longer periods of time. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and it was intriguing to me that you mentioned, mentioned that symptom because I'm, I'm curious to see if like, did it start way back 11 years ago or did it start more recently? There are a lot of factors here. Like, do you have nightmares, for example, would be something that I would want to think about. And then maybe a medication like prozocin is appropriate. Is there anything that makes your night sweats better or worse would be another factor to think about? And was anything going on in your life when they started, for example? Things like that all impact the reason for having this symptom. So that's like something to dive in entirely Because serum can disrupt your ability to reduce core body temperatures. yeah, Um, And so that can be what you're experiencing, but you might also be experiencing something more complex and related to other factors.
0: Totally. Yeah. And actually that's the thing that I I had a doctor's appointment this week Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: I was discussing this with her and I was like, I, it's not going away. Like I'm really frustrated. And she was like, when do you take your Zoloft? And I was like, oh, I take it in the evening. And she's like, that might also affect it because if you're taking it in the evening, it's a bit stimulant stimulating, like not, it's not a stimulant, but it like, it can kind of like add, I don't know, internal excitement. I don't know what, I can't remember what she said, but because of that, you might be like sleeping, but then not realizing that you're like kind of up a little bit, which can cause night sweats. So I've actually taken, I've started taking it in the morning and I haven't noticed a difference either. So but it's only been a couple days
1: Well, so the mechanism you're describing is that your uh, Zoloft is working on, it's an SSRI. So it's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So that means it's working on serotonin receptors and serotonin receptors can cause changes in the body's thermoregulatory system because serotonin plays a role in regulating body temperature and when you're blocking these receptors, like you are with, with like Seroquel or Zoloft, what's happening is you are interfering with the body's ability to regulate temperature. And so that can lead to night sweats and
0: temperature fluctuations in general. Interesting. Okay. So Um, so I know how SSRIs work because that part I did go to enough school to learn, um, I can draw the little map or whatever, um, (laughs) but how does Seroquel work? Is it the same in terms of like, it's not allowing serotonin to be like taken back as often, or is it producing extra serotonin?
1: So when you think about serotonin, it's for some serotonin receptors, it's a partial agonist. So increasing the receptors. And then some serotonin receptors, it's actually an antagonist, so decreasing Uh. them. So it has a couple different effects on serotonin receptors, and then it has an effect on a whole bunch of other receptors. And so when you're thinking about some of its more classic um, uses for something like schizophrenia, you're really wanting to target those dopamine receptors that it targets, and then when you're treating major depression, that's when it's really that acting as the serotonin receptor partial agonist, um, and so that's why it has uses for those two two indications.
0: Interesting. Okay. Hmm.
1: I want to mention also. I think you discussed heart palpitations when you are coming off the medication. And I never want to, like, if I ever hear, like, when I hear that, I always like to address it um, just to make sure you're taking care of yourself. <laughs> I would um, mention that to your doctor mm-hmm. and if you haven't had an EKG recently. That's something to consider. Although a side effect of Seroquel in general, like 4% more than even have that night sweat symptom of people have heart palpitations just from Mm. taking Seroquel. But when you're thinking about heart palpitations that aren't um, signifying a medical problem, coming off a medication or taking a medication is a reason that you might be getting heart palpitations, though you don't have a medical issue with your heart. Really what a heart palpitation is, is usually you have that rhythmic lub-dub of your heart. Mm -hmm. But you're feeling kind of like this brief moment of like skipping a beat or fluttering or pounding and stress and exercise and medication can all cause these things. However, I I do just want to mention about circles in particular. uh, So it has a potential side effect of QT prolongation. And so when you're thinking about QT prolongation, your QT interval is the whole duration of ventricular depolarization and repolarization. So it's like a big, a big chunk of your heartbeat. And so... You, you have the concern of associated with prolonged QT interval. One of those, one of those risks for that is coming, like is being on antipsychotics or coming off antipsychotics. And that's the category that quetiapine is in. And quetiapine can cause that prolonged QT interval, which can be associated with sudden cardiac death, um, usually due to acute ventricular arrhythmias, which is like, speeding up usually and and messing up the rhythm of your heart in part of it. And some rare reports of torsade de point, which is a specific type of ventricular tachycardia. So that is kind of the short answer for what should I do about heart palpitations is that I would recommend just like mentioning it to your doctor. If you haven't had an EKG recently, that's something to consider. It's normal and like not medically relevant when you're coming off drugs, you might have heart palpitations though. Um,
0: yeah. You don't want to like panic, but you also don't want to ignore your heart symptoms. And right. I've had a number of like, I have really bad cases of like crazy racing heart. My heart rate will go to like 200 and I'll be sitting there. Like it's wild. Mm. And so I've been referred to a cardiologist about that, obviously. Cause okay. I'd been in, the, I'd had to call 911 one time. Cause it was so bad that I was like, Oh my God, I'm dying. Okay. And I did it two week culture monitor, which was horrible. Um, and they found nothing. Okay, good. So like, I mean, that was year that was pre COVID, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, I've definitely been tested for like heart issues. I think that like, as much as I hate to like, say that, say this, like, I think it's just panic attacks. Like I really do.
1: And legitimately that is a cause of heart palpitations. So it's not terrible to say that. It's just, that's a, that's a real cause of these things. And that's, that's not minimizing the symptom. It's a real physical no. symptom that you're experiencing. Yeah, so and it sucks. yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh I'm. yeah. I've, I've been there too. It's, it's really yeah, it's awful, horrible. So I I can relate to you. It's, it's really, it feels like a real heart attack. Patients will describe it sounding just like a heart attack. So it's, it's not something to minimize at all. It's a, no. a severe symptom.
0: Yeah. And then I'm and I'm glad that I got tested for it for like the two-week halter because that helped my anxiety of knowing, like, okay, this is probably fine. You're not dying. Just let it pass kind of thing. The Mm -hmm. issue with the withdrawal was that I it wouldn't pass. (laughs) So it was like wild. It was like, you know, a day and a half of just like these crazy heart palpitations and and like racing heart. And like you, you know how bad it is, even when it is a panic attack and it's like 10 minutes and you're just completely wiped after like for that to just go on for two days is it was unbelievably exhausting
1: yeah I can't I I can't imagine that like that sounds it sounds very stressful (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah I'm happy to hear though that it sounds like you're Like you don't need to necessarily transition to another sleep aid, although there are many on the market that are more relevant for most listeners as far as what they would be prescribed. So there's like a variety of options. And then coming off the Seroquel, it sounds like your sleep is like a little better. And then also that sleep apnea piece I want to like touch on again, that can be really significant as far as the metabolic effects of Seroquel and being on that medication.
0: Yeah, I actually want, so I do have sleep apnea, which I haven't talked a lot about on this show, but like, it's some, not something I'm ashamed of at all. I, it's honestly getting get diagnosed as a huge benefit in my life because I got a CPAP and it just changed everything. But what's interesting is since I've been off of Seroquel, I hadn't been taking it super right. I hadn't been using my CPAP every night because we just moved. And it was like one of those things where you just like, if you don't set it up, you forget to use it, blah, blah, blah. And now that I'm off of it, I'm having a really hard time using my CPAP. And I'm wondering if it's because the pressure is too high potentially, because maybe the the sleep apnea itself has diminished slightly. So I actually, I'm curious, I might want to, I might try and go get retested to see if my um, events per hour are still as high as they were, because this, I feel like I'm fine without the CPAP. I don't actually find the CPAPs helping at all, which is interesting.
1: Oh, well, if it's not helping at all, then yeah, I would definitely get that reevaluated. But effective treatment of sleep apnea really just improves quality of sleep in general. So if you're still having residual symptoms, it can have a really significant benefit to treat those. Totally.
0: And like, I mean, I'm, I feel like I should be a sleep apnea or a CPAP influencer because I like, it (laughs) it changed my life. Then my husband got one, changed his life. Then my dad and my father-in-law got one changed their life. My dad is a different human being now. And really? yeah. Like, maybe I, I need that. I my boyfriend I, used to snore a lot. <laughs> I tell everybody to get tested. And interestingly, you don't even need to snore. So that's a misconception as well, because I'm not like a huge snorer. So I was always like, well, I can't have sleep apnea. But it turns out other symptoms like night sweats are a side effect. So I got tested anyways and then turns out I had it. But yeah, I mean, like I have seen CPAPs do absolute wonders and I highly recommend everybody get get tested, but yeah, I'm curious. I want to get retested and see if there's any difference. I should really try and figure out how to set that up.
1: Yeah. Sleep is sleep is just, and and this was really the overarching theme of this conversation. It's not necessarily about Sequel. So this is relevant to people who aren't taking sleep medications too. Um, Sleep is just so, so important um, for your mood, um, for regular breathing patterns, um, reduce daytime sleepiness, enhance cognitive function, um, and it can really help reduce irritability and symptoms of depression.
0: Totally. I mean, to me, that's why I took Seroquel for so long is Mm -hmm. my mental health suffered when I wasn't sleeping properly. And I mean, I don't think I'd be here today today without Seroquel. There is not a part of me that is upset that I took Seroquel for that long. I needed it. It got me through DBT. It got me through two degrees, got me through many relationships. Like I, I love that medication and I have no shame that I took it for so long, but I'm happy Mm -hmm. that I took the leap to see what life is like without it. Now that I'm in a bit of a different place. And I, you know, I do want to say like, it's not like, I've been having a really great experience. Like, yes, we're talking about the like crazy side effects of like the withdrawal for a couple of days, but you know, if you are interested in coming off of Seroquel, if your doctor is supportive, if you're going to taper properly, like it's, I haven't had any like negative issues other than few yeah. like, days of like, torture. <laughs> and I think that's a good overarching theme
1: too for people to discuss with their doctors. Hey, if something's not currently working, change it. If it's not currently a problem, you don't need to be on it. You can switch. Your medications can change with your psychological health as you as your needs change, as your environment changes, as your life changes. Like we are not static as people everything's changing all the time, only constant. <laughs> so if we're always changing our medications that affect our moods that are always changing should also be changing.
0: Totally. And I mean, like the last time that I wanted that I was tapering down to try and get off Seroquel March, 2020 happened. And I was like, okay, you know what? Now not the time. Like, you know what I right. mean? Like a life, a life factor. And here I am three years later now doing it, but I don't regret waiting. Cause that would have been a disaster to try and go through COVID without a medication that I needed. Oh,
1: absolutely. And and that's such a struggle for so many people who needed to get, especially starting new medications during Mm -hmm. COVID too and it was a really difficult time for addictions treatment and things like that too it's it was it's led to increased rates of mental health appointments across the nation and like shortages of our mental health providers at least in the mm-hmm. us so it's it's like it's really affected people's mental health in a real tangible way
0: oh for sure and it will for the next 10-15 years at least oh yeah if not yeah. forever do you want to just talk a little bit about like sleep hygiene as a concept, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk a lot about medication and I, medication's fascinating. That's what this episode was about, but there's also that annoying thing about sleep hygiene where like, we all know what we should be doing better and none of us do it. (laughs) So that was also part of what I was trying to focus on around. Mm -hmm. Like I used to, and like, I'm not perfect. So don't, this is not me preaching by any stretch, but like, you know, I would go to bed And then I would play on my phone for an hour. And then, you know, in the middle of the night, if like I was woke up to pee or whatever, I would check my phone. So that kind of thing, horrible, right? And so, you know, now I try and go to bed. I listen to podcasts while I sleep um, or like to sleep, which is helpful and whatever. I, I don't really plan on changing that. But I basically like go to bed, put my podcast on and just don't look at my screen again. Because that helps a lot. And the other thing that I learned. That's fine.
1: Like I think that's fine to have something soothing. And and as long as you're not like really cognitively engaged, it actually can be very recommended to listen to something. It's like for me, I listen to something as a replacement for white, what some people used to like
0: me too. White noise
1: to go to sleep and white noise and things like that. So that's totally appropriate.
0: Totally. And it's funny as a podcaster is, and like, as a person who listens to podcasts, when I sleep, I've had a couple of people be like, yeah, like you're my like sleep podcast, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, I don't, I hope that's not an insult. I was like, that's not an insult at all because like, I a hundred percent, some of my favorite podcasts are my sleep podcasts. Like, you know, it it means that like, yeah, you're not necessarily like paying attention, but like our voices are helping you sleep which is excellent um I love that and it's
1: often the episodes that I've listened to the most that I yes, play too. I sleeping because it's like this is familiar and comforting so I would take that as a great compliment that's yeah. Like, yeah I listen to my favorite podcasts when I'm like going to bed
0: exactly and I'll listen to them like over and over again just because I'm like oh I fell asleep halfway through that one so I'm gonna start over yeah <laughs> the other thing that I actually learned that was really helpful in terms of sleep hygiene what was is a very recent learning of mine around if you're like restless at night, it's not a bad thing to just get up. And so this was part of like a like public health psycho, anyways, long story short, like a health literacy kind of course that I was taking. And it's crazy how much that helps. So they were like saying basically like, if you're in bed and you're just like, oh, I can't sleep. Oh, I can't sleep. Oh, I'm just rolling around. If you just like get up and walk around for like, two minutes or like get up and stretch for two minutes and then go mm-hmm. back to bed. It's like makes such a big difference. And that's been huge in my sleep hygiene.
1: Right. Like if it's taking you over half an hour, an hour to fall asleep, get up. Absolutely. Like yeah. that is, I I mean, for me, I had like, I'm, I'm not as good at practicing what I preach preach. So like I I take a long time to fall asleep, but when I, when I do do what you're describing, it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Um, and because you also want to situationally kind of prime yourself to be in bed. And when you're in bed, you're sleeping. So that helps kind of on a psychological level.
0: Yeah. Again, totally easier said than done. I'm not great at practicing what I preach in terms of sleep hygiene either, but that has been a thing that I had never heard about in sleep hygiene. That was really beneficial for me. So, you know, we're talking about withdrawal, we're talking about Seroquel, but also there are those other components that like can help with your sleep quality and quantity and ability to fall asleep quickly that don't require medication, don't have side effects, all of these benefits.
1: Yeah, I always like to start with behavioral interventions and lifestyle changes. Totally. Um, As many, like, as many changes as you can make to those, they're going to be more natural for your body. And that's not to say medications are bad. They're absolutely, I I think they are like so appropriate in so many situations. But I think making changes to even things like exercise during the day can really help your sleep too. And just like really healthy, like healthy eating and healthy living can really improve your sleep.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. I have a, um, I use this like sleep tracking app on my phone or on my watch. And it's cool. Cause it like correlates things that you do during the day with your sleep. So it'll say like, Oh, when you exercise for 45 minutes, your sleep improves by 20% or whatever. And it's, it's really cool to see like that correlation.
1: I love that. That is such yeah. a great idea. And tracking habits really often leads to improved behavior too. Mm-hmm. So, even just tracking your sleep is like a good way to say, Am I getting enough sleep every day? And mm-hmm. typically, any behavior you track, like let's say you're quitting smoking, just writing down how many cigarettes you're smoking a day is typically a way to automatically reduce that behavior. Yeah. Cause so, you don't
0: realize how many you're smoking without. Tracking. Yeah. It's just bringing awareness to it. Totally. So we're out of time, but I'm wondering, is there anything that we didn't cover that you were like super excited about talking about?
1: I think that covers... Most of it, I mean, I could talk about these medications for days and days and days, and we can go into your whole history, yeah, <laughs> like really dive in. So, I, I would love to do that at some point. There's like personally. totally, but I think we covered a lot that's like really useful for people to translate across various experiences,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and just bring high like a highlight to the fact that like this doesn't have to be a disaster, it's not yeah. a negative, it might suck for a couple of days, and then it was fine. you are interested in getting off of it, it's not like everything you read online, which is just like basically don't, it's horrible.
1: Absolutely,
0: Um, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Carly, for coming on. This has been such like a fun experience to talk to somebody who gets it and is also on the medication.
1: This was fun for me too. So thank you so much for having me, Laurie.
0: Anytime. All right, I'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey. And we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.